morning, Lighthouse Church. Worship with us this morning. There is a shaking, let hearts awaken. Our God is moving, forever changing us. There is a trembling, there is revival, the sound of worship, so great and glory.
Contain and I can't control. Oh, 
You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, guys, I want to remind us uh, of what we're doing here. Uh, we are not here to hear a good message. Otherwise, way too much pressure, and I'm going to go sit down. Um, we're not here just to sing some songs, although these songs hopefully are the cry of our hearts. The reason that we are here, the reason that we gather inside of a box on Sunday is not because this is church. You are the church. The church just happens to gather together for an hour and a half on Sunday mornings, and we do so for a couple of reasons. One, we do so so that we can be together, and that's really important, particularly in a time where many of us feel really isolated, and I know that there are some of you who are watching at home that really do feel isolated, and we miss you, we love you, know that we are here. If you need a phone call, if you, if you just want to connect with us, please let us know how we can be supporting you, even from a distance. But we're here to connect with one another. But more importantly, guys, we are here to have an encounter with the living God and be transformed by it. And that's why we're changing up our order of service a little bit so that the focal point isn't the message so much as what comes after the message, our response time. And today, we're going to have a few ways that we're going to respond, uh, but we got to get through the message first. And so I I'm going to dive in in a moment. But before I do that, I, we had a wonderful time this week. We had about three different opportunities for community. We got to go fishing, some of us. We, we, we pretty much fed seals is what we did. The seals kept stealing our fish off of the hooks. But even that was fun, because how often do you get to feed seals, right? And then on Friday night, we had our third and final beach bonfire. It was so much fun just getting to be with, with, with our larger family, uh, uh, getting to be outside and kind of exercising our bodies a little bit, getting to put lots of things on the skewers rather than just marshmallows and see what what tastes good. We found that pizza on those skewers works really well. We found that putting marshmallows and a chocolate in the middle of a donut and doing that is really good. We call them s'more nuts and I think that we're on to something. Uh, but we had a really good time on Friday and then on Saturday morning we had our men's breakfast across the street in the kind of and just getting to be together, getting to sit around in a circle, you know, having bagel sandwiches together and just getting to share what the Lord is, you know, burdening our hearts with is wonderful. We were created to do life together and we do it kind of sporadically over the course of the summer, but there is absolutely no better way that we do it than in our life groups and which are small groups that meet in people's homes throughout the weeks. And, and I'm sorry, tech team, I didn't give you any sort of a heads up. Uh, so there's not going to be a slide for this, but as we are coming to the tail end of summer, and we were preparing for September and school to start. I know that our, all of our kids said, yay, because they're so excited. Uh, let's be honest, the parents are the ones who are cheering. Um, because summer's coming to a close for our kids, but it's about to begin for us, right? I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I know, thank you, Gary. I appreciate one laugh. 
pretty much dad jokes are pretty much just for the tellers. So that, that, these are more for my entertainment. If you guys don't get it, that's cool. Um, we, as we're coming to the tail end of summer and we're beginning this new school year, this is the time for those of you who are newer to Lighthouse and are going, how do I get plugged in? I want community. It's great that we get to connect on a Sunday, but it's kind of, I, I want more. And we want more for you. In fact, I would suggest to you the very best of what we have to offer as a church are our life groups where you get to do life on life, where you get to continue the conversation from Sunday. Where It's not a monologue, where it's a dialogue. And so if you are not currently planning on participating in a life group when they start up in September, this is your opportunity to let us know because over the next several weeks, we're going to begin plugging people into life groups and perhaps even starting some new ones to make space for people who want to be a part of them. If you want to get into life groups, all you need to do is there's connection cards in the seat backs in front of you. You can use those connection cards and let us know, hey, I want to get in a life group. Here's my contact information. Here are the nights of the week that I'm available, whether it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, or, or Friday, whatever. Just let us know the nights of the week that work for you, and then also let us know how we can contact you. Um, if you are at home and you want to get into one, all you need to do is email us at pastor at lighthousecommunity.com, and we will make sure that we find a spot for you. Again, this is more important than you listening to me on Sundays. And I'm the guy who's typically talking, so that means a lot for me to say it. Getting to be a part of a life group is more important than just listening to me talk to you on Sundays. So please, do not overlook this incredibly crucial ministry of the church because this is how we do life here. This is how we are transformed. That's all I've got to say about that. Now, if you will, turn with me to John chapter 14. We are in the fight, we, we're, we're not only in the second half of John's gospel, but we are in the final hours of Jesus' life prior to his arrest and his crucifixion. And as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, these are the moments where Jesus is kind of preparing his disciples for what's to come. He knows that he's about to leave them. He knows that they don't anticipate what's coming. He knows it's coming, they don't. And he knows it's going to throw him into turmoil. And so, as any of us, if we knew we only had a couple hours to live, he is intentional with the way he spends that time. And he began, as we saw a couple weeks ago, with reframing his disciples' understanding of what true leadership looks like. That leadership is not, the higher I go, the more people are there to serve me and do my bidding, that ladder is flipped and the higher you climb the more people you have to care for and we, we talked about the fact that if if service is beneath you then leadership is beyond you really important reframing and then he told his disciples listen guys i'm not going to be with you much longer i my hour has come and i'm about to go be with the father i'm leaving you guys and they freak out and he he, he goes on to kind of tell them hey in my absence Love one another. This is how the world will know you're my disciples, by the way you love one another. But they can't hear that because all they can hear is Jesus telling them he's about to leave. And they freak out, which is understandable because they are anticipating that Jesus is on the precipice of his glorification. That everything that they have been striving for and hoping for is going to about to come to pass. 
But what they don't understand, despite the fact that Jesus has tried to warn them dozens of times, what they don't understand is that his glorification is not going to come from him kicking Herod out of Israel and sitting down in Herod's palace and kind of taking that position of authority for himself. Rather, it's going to come through his suffering and through his willingness to die on the cross in order to bring about the Father's purpose and his plans. That his suffering, I'm sorry, that his glorification will come through his suffering. They can't understand that. All they hear is he's leaving and it freaks them out. And then they start going, well, why? Why are you going? Where are you going? Why can't we come with you? And Jesus' point is the reason you can't come with me is as I go to prepare a place for you to be with me at some point, you are going to remain here and continue to do what I have been doing. No pressure, right? So let's go ahead and pick up the, the conversation in verse 12. Jesus says, very truly, and anytime you see very truly in the NIV, that is a translation of the, the Greek word amen. He says, amen, amen. This is when he's trying to make a point, when he's trying to drive something home. Amen means truly, truly. So amen, amen, I tell you. What, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And by the way, if you've ever wondered why Christ followers finish prayers with in Jesus' name, we get it from here and some other places where Jesus says this. Ask for things in my name and I'll do it. But I want to really clarify something for us for a moment. Because I would imagine that some of you have asked for things in Jesus' name and they didn't come to pass. You did not, in fact, win the lottery. The Packers didn't win the Super Bowl. Sorry, Marge. I know you prayed for that one. The Angels, the Dodgers, like you just go down the list. Like your team didn't do as well as you have, would have wanted them to. You, you don't currently have the house you would have chosen. You, you, you're, you're, your spouse and you are kind of at odds a little bit. She or he just does not seem to understand how right you are. And your kids, for whatever reason, still have a will of their own. And they don't think that you walk on water, right? So sometimes it feels as if that promise is empty. But let me remind us of what's underneath that promise, why he even chooses to say this to his disciples. This is tied to their purpose in remaining, just as it was tied to his purpose in coming. Jesus is there to do the will of the Father, to advance his kingdom purposes. And when Jesus would ask for something, what did he say? I don't ask for anything according to my will, but only what I ask, or only what the Father wants. He was constantly reordering his will around what the Father wanted. So he might pray, God, if there's any way that this cup of wrath, this cross can kind of pass from me, if we can do this any other way, let's do it that way. But not what I want, but what you want, right? That is the beautiful act of worship and submission that Jesus had to the Father. And his prayer came to pass. Not that he was able to avoid the cross, but rather that he ultimately went to the cross to do the will of the Father. God used him in that. God glorified him in that. When we ask for anything in the name of the Father, or in the name of Jesus, 
that is according to the will of the Father, he brings it about. But if we, and this is what James says in James's letter, the reason you don't get what you ask for is you ask with wrong motives that you might get, or that you might use what you get on yourself. When we're asking selfish prayers, when we're asking prayers about God protect me from this world and, 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 and help me to be comfortable in it, help me to fulfill the American dream, that's not necessarily God's dream for us. That's what society tells us we deserve. But when we begin to recognize that we are not here to simply be comfortable, and we don't add Jesus to our lives simply so that we can have our best life now, suddenly we begin to realize that the purpose of this, verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name, and here's the key part, so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. The whole point of this promise is not for our comfort, not so that we can somehow get what we want and turn God into a cosmic vending machine, but rather so that we can fulfill the Father's purpose and redemptive plans in this world. Does this make sense? Okay, that, that, that's just an important clarification because otherwise it could be incredibly confusing and for some of us very discouraging when we ask for something. And sometimes those things aren't selfish. Sometimes those things are, God, somebody that I love is hurting right now. Would you take their pain away? And sometimes he does, and other times he doesn't. Sometimes God is glorified in our pain, and sometimes his will happens through our suffering. Thankfully, that suffering is momentary compared to eternity, but it's still hard. There's a whole lot more we could talk about that, and I'm sure we will at, at another point. But I want to dive into where we're, we're really going to focus in today. Jesus continues in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This beautiful kind of relationship where we're all kind of connected to one another, the Father to the Son, and the Son to us, and all through the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Well, then Judas, and, and thankfully John is wants to make sure that we know that it's not Judas Iscariot. That guy already left. But then Judas said, well, well Lord, why do you tend to show yourself to us but not to the world? Like, wouldn't it be more effective? Jesus replies, and it almost seems like he, he kind of, dis you know, kind of, doesn't answer that question so much as he keeps going on the point he's trying to make. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That's like the third or fourth time that he said that. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to really lean into that statement. He said, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. It almost seems like our relationship with Jesus has to do in some part with our willingness to obey him and submit to him. But that's a conversation for another day. 
These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All that I have spoken while still with you, or while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. Shalom. My shalom I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. At this point, they were, their hearts were very troubled and they were very afraid because Jesus says he's leaving and he's also suggesting that they're going to kind of pick up the mantle of what he's been doing, no pressure. You heard me say that I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you'll believe. I will not say, uh, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming, but I want you to know that he has no hold over me. He has nothing on me, not, no ability to kind of control me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me, namely, by being willing to go to the cross. Now, there are a lot of threads we could pull on, a lot of things we could lean into, and, and some of them are really important. Some of them we're going to address in, in coming weeks because these themes that he brings up of obedience being tied to love, incredibly important, but we're going to talk about that at another time. Because I want to lean into one that I think all of us have some sort of a relationship to, but it's one of those that there's a tremendous amount of confusion and concern about, and that is the topic of the Holy Spirit. I want to begin by acknowledging why Jesus brings the Holy Spirit up in this moment. Because he's just said to his disciples, you, uh, 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 you guys are going to do what I have been doing. In fact, you'll do even more than I have done. And I can only imagine them hearing this and going, oh, there's no way. Like, there is simply no way. I mean, you, you're, you're Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> Your connection with the Father is totally different from our connection to the Father. Our connection is through you. How can we possibly do what you've been doing, let alone outdo what you've been doing? And by themselves, there's simply no way that they could have accomplished anything. But that's why he reminds them that he's not leaving them alone, that he is going to send the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit that has enabled Jesus to do everything that he's done up to this point. And this is where we get into theology a little bit. You see, when, when Jesus came and he took on human flesh, he did something. He emptied himself of his divine power as God. Right? Remember who Jesus was. We, remember, we, we were told this right from the very beginning of John. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the, the divine controlling power through which God spoke the world into existence and that power that continues to hold it together. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And everything that was created was created through him. Nothing has been created apart from him. That's basically the message we get from the very beginning. This is who Jesus is. He is the divine word of God through which everything was spoken into existence. But that word became flesh. And he entered into our reality. He was born into this world. And in so doing, in order to be fully human, he, he let down some of his divine power. In fact, he, he emptied himself of it 
so that he could walk as a human and he could experience life as a human. So then you say, well, then how on earth did he walk on water? How on earth did he transform water to wine? How did he give sight to the blind? How did he raise the dead? And in fact, how was he raised from the dead if he was simply human? It's a fair question. And I would simply point back to the moment where his public ministry got started. It happened during baptism. He went down to the Jordan River and he asked his cousin John to baptize him. And John goes, no, 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 I should, you should be the one baptizing me. And Jesus goes, no, this is my proper act of, of worship. And so Jesus has John baptize him. And as he's going under the water, we hear the father speaking over his son. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then we see the Holy Spirit in the shape of a dove coming down from the heavens and resting on Jesus. And it was through the Holy Spirit indwelling in, in within him and empowering of him that Jesus did everything that we consider to be pretty noteworthy. All the miracles were done through the enablement of the Spirit. All of the resurrecting and the giving sight to the blind, even all of his ability to know what was going on in people's minds and hearts, right? Jesus wasn't surprised when the crowds left him after he started saying that he, you know, if you want any part with me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, cannibalism, that's kind of weird. And of course, he's talking metaphorically, but they start leaving him and he's not surprised by that. He's not surprised when one of his own guys uh, be, decides that he's going to sell out. He's not surprised by it. He's not surprised when Peter says, I would die for you. And he goes, actually, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to disown me. He's not surprised by it because the Holy Spirit within him is giving him discernment. All of this was through the enablement of the Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit, he says, will be with you and in you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. In fact, he will go on to say, it's, it's actually better that I go to be with the Father because if I didn't go, then I wouldn't send the Spirit to be with you or he wouldn't send the Spirit to be with you and in you. The only reason it could possibly be better that Jesus go is if we're called to do what he's doing, there's only one of him and there's a multitude of us. And if all of God's divine spiritual power was, was focused in Jesus as a hu single human being, there wouldn't be enough of him to go around. But with the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, it's a different story. Now, I, I want to clarify something that might be confusing to some of you who, we pastors have words that we use that we think everybody understands, but in reality, we just kind of use them because they become shorthand for something else. Worship becomes shorthand for singing songs. And in fact, we've done a disservice to, to that because worship is every aspect of our life in submission and obedience to God. Singing songs is one small sliver of it, but we've, we've made it, we, we've narrowed it down, right? So we do a disservice at times when we talk about these Christianese words without defining our terms. So here's another one. We pastors love to use the term accepting Jesus into your heart. Anybody ever heard a pastor say, hey, you want to accept Jesus into your heart? You can raise your hand. This is interactive. Hey, thank you. It's good to see that you're all there. We use that term. A and we, kn we know what we mean by that. Accepting Jesus in your heart means accepting the fact that you 
can't do life on your own, that you can't fix yourself up. Believing that Jesus is who he said he was and choosing to follow him as, as him being your Lord and you being like a disciple who wants to be shaped in his image. That's the ABCs of the gospel. Admit that you need him, believe that he can do what he said he could do, and choose to follow him. That's what I know, but, but our language could imply that when you accept Jesus in your heart, you get a little half-inch version of Jesus who will live in one of the atriums of your heart. Maybe he'll take over both of them, you know, if you're really lucky. But we know that that's not true. So what do we mean when we suggest that when we invite Jesus into our hearts? We mean, first off, that we recognize that we can't live and do life on our own. We can't fulfill what God has called us to do by our own strength. We believe that Jesus can do what he said he could do. Namely, he can break the chains that bind us. He can restore us back into relationship with the Father. And so we choose to follow him. Choose to allow him to be the Lord of our life. And when we do that, he doesn't just say, good luck, go represent me well. That would be a losing proposition for all of us. Now what he does is he gives you the same spirit of God that was with God and is part of the divine trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That same spirit that empowered Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, that same spirit is given to you to be with you. And this is, this is where it causes us to have to clarify what we mean by the Holy Spirit. Because for some of us, we begin to look at the Holy Spirit as if it's simply a power that is out there, right? A divine, weird, amorphous spiritual power. Some of us begin to look at the Holy Spirit like it's akin to the force from Star Wars, right? Where all you need to do is somehow get in tune with it and you can begin to tap into the power that's just kind of swirling around out there in order to bend reality to, to kind of fulfill what you want, to, to kind of make life what you want it to be. And that's a complete misunderstanding of who, or the, what, uh, who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is not a personality-less, nameless, mindless force that we can tap into. It's not like electricity. The Holy Spirit is a person. It is a part of the Trinity, the Godhead. So we can say that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed before anything that was created. He has always been part of God. And rather than being out there somewhere for us to tap into, he's right in here. So as Jesus goes to the Father to prepare a place, a dwelling place for us to be with him, he doesn't leave us as orphans. Because the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells right here. And so I would suggest to you that the Holy Spirit is actually the first fruits of eternal life. Eternal life being relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's presence in our life becomes God with us. Jesus may be in heaven preparing a place for us, but the Holy Spirit of God resides within us. And so that's how we get to have relationship with Jesus. That's how we get to have relationship with the Father. That's how Jesus can say that the Father is in me, and you are in me, and I am in you. 
through the Holy Spirit. Next week, Jeff's going to talk about abiding in the vine. We only do so through the enablement and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way it happens. So let's, go, let's, let's actually take a couple of these verses. We're not going to pull everything apart today. We're just going to look at a couple of things that Jesus says in this conversation as they pertain to who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit operates in our lives. Jesus says in verse 15, If you love me, then keep my commands, right? Because love is tied to our obedience and our ordering our life around him. And if we're going to continue his ministry, then obeying how he's taught us and trained us is imperative. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So it's not out there. The Holy Spirit of God resides within us. And the only reason we talk about the heart is because that is our understanding of where kind of the, the, the seat of our emotions are, right? We tend to point, here's where we think. The heart is where we think emotions reside. But for, for Jews, they're talking about the whole of your, 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 your existence. The Holy Spirit comes in and begins to, to shape us in the way that the Father kind of intended us to be. But, but I'm getting lost in the weeds. For just, I want to back up for just a second. Because in verse 16, Jesus says that he will give us another, and my, my translation uses the word advocate, but I would imagine some of your translations use a different word. What are some of the other words that your translations, helper, what else? Counselor, okay. Comforter, yeah, those are good. Paraclete, so, oh, you got one that actually says paraclete, or you just, you already know the answer, right? So all of those words are really good words, comforter counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, all of those are English speakers' attempts to translate a Greek word. That word is parakletos, or we kind of to um, anglinize it to a paraclete. And that word paraclete, there, there's a lot of ways that we could, could kind of try to articulate what the paraclete does. Now, the word paraclete literally means one who comes alongside, as in to, to try to help. And, and when I think of what a paraclete does, I tend to think of like running a marathon and somebody who runs alongside of me, or I've never actually run a marathon. Because I've always thought, well, I don't want to actually train for a marathon. So I've never actually gone through with it because I've heard from people who try to do that, that that's just a bad idea. But I've done what, I, you know, I, I tend to like things a little bit more fun and exciting. So rather than running 26 point something miles, um, I signed up for this thing called the Tough Mudder a couple of times. And, and the Tough Mudder is a mud run designed by, by uh, Y chromosomes. It, it includes not only mud, but barbed wire, fire, and electricity. So, and then stuff you climb over. At some point, I'm sure Ethan will try to get me to do it with him. I've done them a couple of times when I've been in, in different levels of shape. But the last time I did it, about seven years ago, um, I was not in shape at all. And it's 13 miles, and there's a lot of uphills and downhills and jumping over obstacles and swimming through stuff. 
And by about mile 11, my right knee that I injured when I used to uh, do kickboxing and stuff, my right knee started giving out. And I found myself dragging, like literally trying to drag my leg across the last couple of miles. And that my buddy Dane Hathney, who's now up in Oregon, but was a part of our, our church at the time, he was running it with me. And Dane was younger than me by about a decade and in way better shape than me. Dane could have easily left me in the dust, but he chose to run next to me the whole way through those last couple of miles, never mocked me for being old and decrepit, and this was like seven or eight years ago, so it's even worse now. I don't even want to think about what it would look like now. But he ran with me and encouraged me simply through his presence the whole way. That's the picture I get when I think of the paraclete, of the role that the Holy Spirit plays, is one who comes alongside and encourages us as we grow weary. And I, I have a feeling that there's probably some of you in here who feel a little weary in this season. Feel like you don't? It's just hard to keep going. Hard to get up out of bed in the morning. Any of you guys feeling like you're dragging right now? Or is it just me? I'm glad to know I'm not alone. Right? And, and it's the Holy Spirit with us that goes, you're not alone. I'm right here with you. And that is a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit helps us. Not simply somebody who simply comes alongside of us, but is literally within us helping us along the way. So helper, comforter are, are, are great words to translate paraclete. But I would suggest to you that paraclete probably is not synonymous with the, they, they, his disciples probably would not have thought marathon at the time. In fact, the reason I probably think that way is paraclete sounds a whole heck of a lot like athlete in English. So that's kind of where I make that mental jump. But that's not the first picture that would have come to their mind. Because the word paraclete in that day and age was most often used for somebody who stands alongside of you in a court of law when you are on the defense, when you have been accused of something. The paraclete is like a legal counselor or your defense attorney, hence the term advocate or intercessor, somebody who is there beside you standing up for you, reminding you of your rights, giving you wise counsel on how to proceed, how to plead, when to speak and when to just hold your tongue. And most importantly, one that will speak up for you. And by the way, this is the role that Jesus played. When, when Jesus said, he'll send you another advocate, that means that there's already been an advocate before. Who is he talking about? Who was the first advocate? This is the interactive portion. Himself, right? It, it, Jesus was the first advocate. So this is helpful for us to understand the role that the Holy Spirit plays. Let's look at how Jesus advocated for the disciples. What did he do? First off, he came to remind them of who the Father was. Because Judaism and, and the religious elite had an idea of who God was, but it was an idea that they had, that had been so warped by the power structures of their day and had been so corrupted by tradition and their own faulty ideas and their own desire to hold on to power that, that they were willing to kind of shift and morph and call things that were very far from the heart of God, good. And call other things that God called beautiful, like 
his image bearers, even though they might have leprosy and even though they might be the wrong gender or even though they might, like all of these things that, that, they, that God would consider good, that they would call bad. And so in order to kind of reclaim the heart of God and restore their understanding of who God was, Jesus came to model the heart of God and to model his values into a world that had misunderstood him, to redeem their understanding of why God even implemented the law in the first place. It wasn't because he likes to be a cosmic killjoy that stands up there with his aviator glasses like a traffic cop, and I'm sorry, Rich, I'm using the metaphor again, stands up there waiting for you to screw up so he can slap you down with the law. That's not the point. The point was he wanted them to understand what does it mean to live in relationship with me. The Ten Commandments, the first four of them are about preserving our relationship with the Father, and the last six of them are about preserving our relationship with one another. You want to know what it means to live as a child of God? It means having relationship with me and relationship with one another. But he also knew that they could never possibly obey the law perfectly, and so in a lot of ways the law was put in place to show us our desperate need for a savior. So in a way, the law drives us into the arms of Jesus, which was God's point in the first place. I don't, I've used this metaphor before, I don't go to the dentist's office and sit down and allow them to um, do the x-ray machine because I, because that somehow heals my teeth by being able to see the decay. No, I sit down and let them x-ray it so that I will recognize my need to go sit down and allow the dentist to minister to my teeth. I don't want to be drilled and filled, but until I see it, I can't know. That's the purpose of the law, is to help us to recognize our need for a Savior. Jesus came first to restore people's understanding of the heart of the Father, but he also came to remind them who they were. You're not also rans, you're not failures. Pretty much everybody that he chose were not guys that had been chosen by the, the other rabbis who chose the cream of the crop and the best of the best. These were also rans. These were guys who had probably tried to become disciples of a well-known rabbi but had flunked out. And so they went back to their father's business. Maybe that was fishing for many of them. Some of them decided to side with the, the Roman occupiers and they became tax collectors. One of them was a zealot. He was the kind of guy who probably would have been like, hey, we got to stick it to Newsom. We got to stick it to whoever the administration is. These were the guys who thought the only way to overcome Rome was to shiv him in the back with a, a knife, right? And he was one of the disciples. I don't even know what my point was in that. I got distracted by shiv. So, so you've got this, this group of ulcerans, and Jesus goes, oh, you're not failures. You're, you're not mistakes. I've chosen you, and I, you have purpose. First off, you're sons of God. You are well-loved, not because of something you've done, not because you've climbed the ladder of religious you know, perfection and attained righteousness. You are loved because of who you are at your core. You're a son of God. And then he reminded them as the enemy began to attack them. He reminded them what they were to be about. Hey guys, as you, the closer you get to me, the more you're going to need to think of others. It's not about you just gleaning off of my rising star to be glorified alongside of me. 
care for others. Be concerned about others. Love one another. This is how the world will know you're my disciples, by the way you love one another, by the way you treat one another. In other words, I don't care if you get straight A's, do you love your brother? That matters more to me. I'm, I'm actually, sorry, Ethan, I was kind of talking to you. Um, but, but all of us, it doesn't matter how you do in business. It doesn't matter how you do in school. It doesn't matter how much you accumulate. Do you have love for other somewhat unlovable people? Because if the answer is no, then all of your other accomplishments are like used toilet paper. Just, I'm just being real and honest here. Guys, it, our resume means nothing apart from love. So Jesus was the advocate for them by reminding them who the Father was, who they were in relationship to the Father, and what their purpose in life was to be an ambassador of the Father's heart. Does that make sense? That was a really long-winded way to get to that point. Now, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to send you another advocate, another one who is going to remind you, teach you, the heart of the Father reminds you who he is, who you are, and what you're for. And in fact, that's exactly what he says in verse 25. Go ahead and turn, jump there. In verse 25, he says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. That's his purpose to remind you and to teach you, to be the one who trains you so that you can better reflect the heart of our Father and reflect me. So you call yourself a Christian, which is a, a term that means little Christ. If you want that to be true, you've got to rely upon the teaching of the Holy Spirit. You need to submit to the reforming, reshaping role that the Holy Spirit has. You need to listen to his voice because this is how you'll be shaped in my image. So we have a picture of the disciples and every other person that calls Jesus Lord being given a counselor, a legal counselor, a defense attorney that stands next to us, stands within us, and reminds us who the Father is, reminds us who we are in relationship to the Father, and reminds us what we are to be about. But why? Of all the metaphors that he could have chosen, why on earth did he choose that one? Well, because in a court of law, it's not just a defense attorney who stands next to you that does the speaking. There's also the prosecution that stands apart from you, who stands across the aisle from you, who levels the accusations. And we've got one. We've got an enemy who revels in that role in our life. We know him as the Satan. And by the way, that's not his name. That's his title, the Satan. Literally, it means the accuser. And that is what he does. Day and night, he roams around, prowling around, looking for little infractions that he can use to dismiss us. He can use to disqualify us. He can use to declare that we are unworthy to be called sons and daughters of God and that we are unworthy to be used by him in his redemptive purposes in this world. That's his job, and he revels in it. We see throughout Scripture, he did this to Job. 
oh, the only reason that he worships you is because you've blessed him. You take those things away and he won't worship you. And so day after day after day, the enemy loves to throw accusations at us. But we know that it doesn't change the Father's heart towards us. We know it doesn't change how he feels about us. And there might be a part of us that kind of looks at the, at the Satan, the accuser, is kind of pathetic because he's going to lose every single time. It doesn't, the, the Satan never changed how God felt about Job, even though Job's circumstances might have changed in the moment in order to prove the Satan wrong. But I can guarantee you that his accusations never change the heart of our God towards us any more than something you say to me about my son is going to change how I feel about my boy. I love that boy, and I would die in a heartbeat for that boy. Nothing you say to me will change how I feel about him. But here's the thing. Our adversary knows that. He knows that he can't change how the father feels about us, but that's not why he does what he does. Because he knows that the father's not the only one who listens to him. In fact, the father isn't the one that he's talking to in the first place. Because we're listening too. And unlike the father, we oftentimes can be swayed to believe what he says. We can oftentimes be swayed to accept those accusations as truth. And if he can convince us that we are unworthy failures, that, can be, uh, that are not worth God, I, uh, not worth either Jesus dying for, let alone God using us, then we will sideline ourselves and then he is one, regardless of how the Father actually feels about us. This is why we need the Holy Spirit in our life. This is why we need the advocate to speak up for us, but also to, to speak into our ear and remind us who we are in relationship to the Father. Remind us who He is, a loving Father, not just an angry, cranky traffic cop waiting for us to screw up so He can strike us down. He is a loving Father who created us in His image to have relationship with us, wants that relationship so much that He sent Jesus to remove the impediments so that we could be restored back into relationship with him. And he has given us his spirit, the same spirit that empowered Jesus and raised him from the dead. He has given us his spirit to remind us who we are and to empower us to do what he's created us to do, namely to be his representatives until such a time as all of the brokenness of this world gets thrown out and God begins to restore it. And then we get to come back and spend eternity alongside Jesus and alongside the Father with the Holy Spirit in the New Jerusalem. But we're not there yet. So in between, he gives us his Holy Spirit as the first fruits, the first taste of intimate relationship. You following me here? All right. So here's the question that we always need to ask ourselves. And I'm going to invite the, the band to come up. I, I keep wanting to call them the worship team, but let's be honest. We're the worship team. And we worship all throughout the week. So to just call this the worship team, that does a disservice to our idea of worship. That's why I'm trying to change the terminology I use. How do we respond to this? I would suggest that the first way that we can respond is to begin to acknowledge ways in which we've misunderstood God's Spirit 
ways in which we've tried to pigeonhole him. Maybe some of us have gone the way of viewing him as the force in Star Wars that we can somehow use, and, and, and if we can just tap into it and say the right things or have the right posture, or maybe we put the right amount into the offering or we show up to church enough times, we can somehow begin to steer that power to accomplish our goals and, and, and make the world what we want it to be. Or maybe we have looked at him as as if he is simply some spiritual drug that we can run to, to to get a spiritual high. Or perhaps some of us have, have seen the ways that people have abused and misunderstood the Holy Spirit in that way, and we just feel uncomfortable about it. So uncomfortable, in fact, that we ran the other way, and we want nothing to do with that. And so in, in running from those abuses, we actually end up pushing the Holy Spirit away. I'll take Father, Son, and Holy Bible, thank you very much, because at least I feel like I can control that, right? At least that feels a little more controllable. Because we're uncomfortable that we can't control the Holy Spirit. Of course we can't. The Spirit of God. We can't control it. All we can do is order our life around Him. But many of us, perhaps, have, have pushed Him to arm's length because we're uncomfortable about Him. And in so doing, we have wondered why we don't feel all that close to the Father or the Son. We wonder why our walk with God feels like drudgery. Perhaps our first and best response to start with this morning is to simply spend a few moments inviting the Holy Spirit to expose to us the ways in which we have misunderstood Him the ways in which we have tried to place him in a box and control him. And I'm not going to try to tell you how you have done that. I recognize in myself, I'm guilty as charged. For far too much of my life, I've been on this side, kind of pushing him to the periphery because there's some wacky things that have been done in his name. But what if the Holy Spirit truly is presence of the living God dwelling within us and giving us access to the relationship that we are all here because we hunger for. Well, then we need to become reacquainted with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to begin, but I just want to take a couple of minutes and I want you to prayerfully invite the Spirit to reveal in you ways that you have either misunderstood Him or, or begun to kind of misrelate to him. And you can just have an honest conversation. In a couple of minutes, I'm going to come up and, and kind of lead us out of this. Uh, but let's take a couple of minutes and just sit with the Holy Spirit's presence, prayerfully invite. Holy Spirit, we invite you to search us and know us. Reveal in us the, the ways that we have misunderstood you. Give us the courage to even voice it to ourselves and to you. You know us better than you know we know ourselves. So reveal to us the ways that we have misunderstood you so that we can draw close to you. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.
Imagine that um, for some of you that was a really long time and for some of you that was like thanks for 10 seconds I, I could use another hour and I hope that that's just the first part of a conversation that you'll have with the Holy Spirit over the coming week but I this week as I was preparing for this morning felt compelled to write down some confessions confessions for both the ways that the church, and I'm talking not just about Lighthouse, but those of us who call ourselves Christ followers may have misunderstood the Holy Spirit. And here's where I'm going to invite you to be interactive with me. These are my words. I recognize that. But I would imagine that for some of you, the confessions I'm about to read resonate with your heart. And if that's the case, then I'm going to invite you simply to join me by saying amen, which means it's true. By acknowledging that that confession is your confession. You can do it verbally or you can just do it in your heart towards God. He'll hear you. But you're welcome to do it out loud so that I'm, you know. Anyway, let me read. The Holy Spirit, I confess that we have often misunderstood the role that you play in our lives. Sometimes we've treated you like a mindless force that we could bend to our will. Or we've treated you like a spiritual narcotic that we could use to get a spiritual high. Other times, we've tried to sideline you in our lives. Maybe we misunderstood you or we feared our inability to control you, and so we've kept our distance. At times, we've treated the Bible as the third member of the Trinity, forgetting that it was through you that the scriptures were penned, and through you that they continue to live and breathe and retain their transformative power in our lives. Can't even understand God's word apart from the Holy I confess that I have grieved you countless times, ignoring your still, quiet voice and listening to the siren call of our flesh. Amen. And I confess that I have attributed to you impulses and ideas that were not from you at all, but I stamped your name over it so that I could do it. Finally, Holy Spirit, we long to allow you to have your way in our lives. Long to let you do in us and through us whatever our Heavenly Father wants. And we thank you for putting up with us through all of it. Amen. Guys, let's, let's, 
let's sing this song as a prayer that the Holy Spirit would be unencumbered in our life and would tear down the walls of misunderstanding and the distance that we have created or the ways in which we've misused Him so that He can do what He was given to us to do, namely to shape us into the image of the living God. Let's just invite Him to do so in our lives. That is our cry, that is our prayer, that the walls that we have erected, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, walls perhaps that we've inherited from our family of origin, from the churches that we've grown up in, for, from, from wounds that we've accumulated, or simply from our own theology or somebody else's theology. We're inviting the Holy Spirit to begin taking those down so that he can do in our hearts what we want. So that's the first response. But there's another very natural response for those of us who find ourselves with an adversary, an accuser who revels 
in screaming our sins and throwing them in our face. Because I would suspect that some of us here, and by some of us I mean all of us, have been entertaining, at least in small part, those lies have begun to internalize those lies. Those lies have now become our truth, our narrative. And in some ways it has hindered us from trusting who God says we are and from doing what he says that we can do. And so I want to spend a few moments right now inviting us to consider the lies that you have heard the enemy whisper or shout in your ears. And simply as a way of exposing them for the bold-faced lies that they are, and simply to show the rest of us that we're not alone in those attacks, I'm going to invite us to shout out the lies that you have heard and the lies that you have perhaps entertained about yourself. And I understand, this is scary. This is vulnerable. And some of you aren't going to be willing to do this. I get it. But would you entrust to your, your church family those pearls of great pain that you thought were truth about you that are in fact lies so that they can know that they're not the only ones who have heard them. So I'll start. Failure. Disappointment. Join in anytime. Not good enough, yeah. Unworthy. Failure. Too worthy. No talent. Too old. Oh, that's a lie. Hey, when you retire, that means you get new tires to go a lot further and be used a lot more. <coughs> what else? Too young? I know you didn't say it, but I said it for you. Lack of strength. Amen. Unlovable. That's his favorite one. I bet there are others, but let's simply, let's spend a few moments celebrating who God says we really are. I think this song helps us do that. Who am I that the highest can win
We're not done yet, but there's something wonderful about, about singing a song that you know to be true so much so that your voice starts cracking and you're like, okay, apparently I'm his adolescent child right now. The beautiful thing about our father is he doesn't listen to the quality of our voice. He listens to our hearts. And so it doesn't matter if you're monotone. It doesn't matter if you are in tune. It brings him great joy simply to see his kids worshiping out of the freedom of his love. And I want to, I want to, I want to declare something over you that you may have a hard time believing, but I guarantee you is true of you. So if you would just bow your heads. And this is the blessing that the Father gave to the Son at his baptism. And for those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you, and I'm going to speak for him. You are my son. You are my daughter whom I love more than you could ever possibly. watching you grow into the man or woman that I have created you to be brings me great joy. I don't expect perfection from you. I just want relationship with you. That's why I sent perfection for you to die in your place so that you can live with me. I love you. Rest in me. Trust me. Follow me and allow me to use you to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. It's your father. It's not me. We're going to go into a time right now where we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to help himself to our lives because that's ultimately, we were, Jesus, our first advocate, and the Holy Spirit, our second advocate, remind us who our father is. They remind us who we are in relationship to him. And they remind us that we have a part to play. The reason that Jesus didn't take his disciples with him is because they were going to pick up the mantle of representing the Father's heart, and representing his values into a sin-warped world. And we pick up that same mantle. And it's a heavy one, one we can't do on our own. So this is where we simply invite the Holy Spirit to help himself to our lives. And in this time, I can imagine that there may be, you may want to just simply sit in the Holy Spirit's presence. Or maybe you want to get up and move around. I'm going to turn off the seatbelt sign and you're free to move around the cabin, okay? You may need prayer. You may want to pray with somebody. I'm going to ask my, my uh, elders and their wives to go to the back just to be available. You can worship back there, but if somebody needs prayer, they're going to be back there. Pastor Jeff's back there. We would love the opportunity to pray with you. Or you may want to just kneel, and there's lots of space up here, but let's just take a, a few moments this morning and invite the Holy Spirit to help himself to our lives, to do what he wants to do in us. All right, let's keep worshiping.
There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living home. Your presence, Lord. And I've tasted and seen of the sweet. Your glory 
not in a hurry um, to stop, but there is one last thing that I um, want to do this morning, and that's, that, that's something that I'm not excited about. I'm never excited when I get to do this, but at the same time, this is part of our act of worship, and that is uh, saying goodbye to a family that we love, that are a key part of our community, that God has called to go. 
And let me just say before I, we move on that we never feel like any of you are ours to possess. We need to, like with everything else in our lives, hold with open hearts our own lives and our own journeys. And for the Olmeras, uh, Tim and Carol, this will be their last Sunday with Costa Mesa being their primary residence. They're going to be moving to Utah. And so I'd love to invite Tim and Carol to come and join us up here. Um, throughout the summer, Tim has actually been helping with uh, our outreach focus as a church and helping us, but, but they as a couple have been serving in a lot of capacities, primarily with fresh beginnings, and I know that Bill is going to have a hard time letting go of them. Um, I, know that, I, I know that Amy and, and the boys are going to have a hard time letting go of these two, and I just want you to know that we love you. We're grateful for you. We're so unbelievably grateful that you are a part of our family. This isn't goodbye. This is always, you can always come home. But I'm also, I know, I'm also really excited for the ways that God, what God has in store for you uh, in Hurricane Utah. As, as you guys get a little bit warmer, um, but they need you there. And so here's what we'd like to do. Um, I'm going to invite you to come down here. And for those of you, and I understand we need to be respectful of COVID, but for those of you who feel comfortable and you want to come and surround them and lay hands on them, you may. And for those of you who would like to do so from your seats, you may. Would you just come right down here? And we as your church family want to surround you and pray for you. And I'm going to go ahead and um, that we're all going to kind of pray over them out loud at the same time. And when we're finished, I'm going to have Bill kind of close us out. But let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, it's not often that we get to meet people who are just totally sold out in servanthood to you, who share their love with so many others around them, with whoever they meet. Tim and Carol, their whole family are a very special group of people. They are so full of your love and your spirit. So God, we are sending them, me reluctantly, but I know that they are called by you to a place that needs them. So Father, I ask for protection. I ask for traveling mercies and safety. And before my dog Juno that has to go with them, Lord, I just pray that you would help them to be a light in the corner in the place that you're taking them to. May their ministry flourish. May their, their neighborhood see them as the light of Christ. And yes, they're going into a territory that's not used to calling on the name of Jesus in the way that they know. But Father, may they be blessed. May they be used. May, may those around them know who they are and, and who they serve. May you use them in a mighty way. Strengthen their hearts, strengthen their ministry. And Father, let them know that they've always got those here in Southern California who will be praying for them continually. We thank you for all they have done in this place. We thank you for all the, the people who have been blessed by them in this area, in all of Orange County, Lord. 
we are just blessed. We ask you to be with them, follow them, and protect them. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we love you guys. I'm really grateful that you guys entered in today. I think this is just the beginning of us submitting our time together and our, ourselves as followers of Jesus to the Holy Spirit and saying, help yourself to us. If you have prayer requests or you want to get into a life group and you want to let us know that you're looking for one, you can drop those in the white buckets on the way out. For those of you who want to give online, you can do so through our website. If there are ways that we can be praying for you, you can just email them to pastor at Lighthouse Community or you can write them uh, on your connection card and drop those in the white boxes. Guys, I love you. I'm so grateful that we get to do life together. May we, though, use the Almeras as a reminder of the posture that we take. I'm going to give this back to you. That our lives, every aspect of them, our hopes, our dreams, our fears and our insufficiencies, that we offer it all up to him and say, help yourself. Use me however you see fit. Now, Lighthouse, go be the church. Have a wonderful week.